Well, tonight we're continuing our series on the big questions. You can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And as you turn, I want you to think of a game of Jenga. I know I'm sure many of you have played a game of Jenga before. Fiercely competitive, a lot of fun. Now imagine the bottom foundation, right? And you take out the middle block and you're just left with two blocks, right? And that makes a sturdy building. It it can stand on those two blocks. Well, like I said last time we met, the foundation for our series on the big questions rests on two pieces. The first we talked about last time, which was, can we trust the Bible? And we saw that we can have confidence in the Bible, that we can trust it as God's word, as truth. Okay, and tonight we're asking the question, the second foundation, which is, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? So, to take a look at this question, I'm going to ask four questions tonight, and we're going to talk through them. They're right up here. What is at stake? What could have happened? What really happened? And what was at stake? All right, so first, what is at stake for us, right? Why is it a foundational piece in that tower, or a big question series, if you will? Why does it matter? And so let's read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 13 through 19, to see what Paul says, to see why he says it's a big deal. He says this, But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So that's what the Apostle Paul says about the resurrection of Jesus. He said, this is all the stuff that's at stake if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. Let me summarize what he said. First, he says this. If there's no real physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, then all preaching is in vain. All faith is in vain, right? That means we we should just go home now. We should never gather again on a Sunday morning, never gather again on a Sunday night. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, it's all in vain. Worse, we're misrepresenting God because Jesus says that he is the son of God, right? The incarnate son of God. He also says he's going to die and be raised from the dead. And if that doesn't happen, then we're misrepresenting God right? We're misrepresenting God and who he said, Jesus said he was. Also, the worst part about it is this. If it's still a lie, then you and I are still in our sins. We're still dead. There's no way back to God, right? And so there's no hope for us also when we die. Everybody, if there's, if there's no resurrection from the dead, if Christ wasn't raised, then everybody you know who died, there's no hope of heaven. And there's no hope for heaven waiting for you when you die, right? That is all at stake in the resurrection of Jesus, And that's why Paul concludes like he does in verse 19. He says this, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, sometimes I think we don't really get what's actually at stake. It's kind of like this. I know, raise your hand. How many of you have read the Harry Potter series? I'm sure many of you, if not all of you. All right? So I want you to picture the last book, The Deathly Hallows, right? Harry is walking to go confront Voldemort. He knows he has to get killed because he's a horcrux, right? But then he's able to open the snitch, and inside the snitch is the resurrection stone. And he knows that he, I know, spoilers, I know, but it's been out for a while, right? But here's the thing. He knows with the resurrection stone that he's going to die, but then he's going to come back, and the Horcrux will be dead, and then he can defeat Voldemort, okay? But imagine you're reading the Deathly Hallows for the first time, and he opens the snitch, and inside is a piece of paper with two words from Dumbledore. Good luck, Okay? 
Imagine that's all he gets, right? And then he walks in, he faces Voldemort, Voldemort kills him, and then because Harry's dead, Voldemort takes over. He wins the Battle of Hogwarts, and then he rules the whole wizarding and muggle world forever, okay? That would be a terrible story, okay? Um, you probably would not go back and read it again. Maybe you read the first six... Maybe you read the first six books, right? But eventually you'd be like, I just can't read anymore. It's too depressing. It's too terrible, okay? But you see, the resurrection of Christ is not quite like that. It would be like you were actually in that story, that you were actually fighting at the Battle of Hogwarts, and Harry really died and couldn't come back and defeat Voldemort, and you were actually having to live in that world where Voldemort won, okay? That's actually the reality of the world if Christ has not been raised. That's what is at stake for us. So, then the, 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 that brings us to the second question. What else could have happened, okay? What could have happened? So let's put it this way. Well, we know Christ lived. He was a real historical person. We talked about that last time when we talked about the truth of the Bible, okay? So he was a real historical person. So either he died on the cross or he didn't, right? So here's the first question. Do you think it's possible that he didn't really die, right? That he just seemed to die on the cross? Some people use the word swoon, that he just swooned and didn't actually die, well, let's put it this way. The Romans who crucified Jesus crucified tons of people, and this was their preferred method of execution. They knew it. It was a terrible, terrible way to die, but they knew exactly what they were doing. We have no account of anyone ever surviving a full crucifixion. Okay? Beyond that, Jesus was beat. He was stabbed. The blood and water came out of him as a sign of death. Okay, and then we're supposed to believe that he then goes to the grave and survives for a couple of days without care, without food, without water, right? It doesn't make any sense. Also, listen to this. Listen to the links that the leaders went to to make sure Jesus didn't rise from the dead. This is Matthew 27, 62 through 66. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by stealing the stone and setting a guard. Okay, so we're saying that somehow Jesus managed not to be killed while he was crucified by the very people who wanted him dead, and then... He was in a tomb that was sealed with a stone and had a guard. And somehow he manages in a weakened state to roll away the stone and get past the guards, right? It doesn't make any sense, right? That's not an option. And when he appears to the disciples, the disciples say that he appeared to them in glory. Somebody who's weak and half dead, you can't, you can't mistake somebody for appearing in glory. It just doesn't make any sense, as we'll see from the disciples' testimony, right? So clearly he died. And actually, all Christian, non-Christian scholars virtually agree Jesus really did die on the cross. So the question is not, did he die? The question is this, did he really raise from the dead? Could the resurrection itself be fake? Well, let's put it this way. The only option, if that is the case, is that somebody stole the body, right? It couldn't be the wrong tomb, which some people say, because it had a Roman guard in front of it. It had a seal on it, right? That's hard to miss. And the Bible says it was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and he was very well known, so you could go find his tomb. There's no way that the, you know, the, the two women at the beginning of the week go to the, go to the wrong tomb. It's just not, not going to happen, okay? Well, it couldn't also be that the leaders had moved his body, because if the body was still out there somewhere, if it was in a different tomb, or if the leaders had moved it, once people start saying Jesus had risen from the dead, they would just pull out the body and say, no, here it is, right? So the only option is that somebody stole the body. 
But let's think about this. Who's going to steal it? Who's going to fight the guard? Who's going to roll away the stone? The only option is the disciples. But here's the problem. Right before the crucifixion, what's the last picture we get of the disciples? They flee when Jesus is arrested. Peter denies Jesus three times in front of a servant girl, not even in front of some guards, right? So we're supposed to believe that those people went and fought with guards and rolled away a stone, right? That doesn't make any sense. And as John also notes in his gospel account, when Peter sees the empty tomb, he also sees that the face cloth that was on Jesus was folded up neatly. Now, we just played this game where you were all mummified, right? And it was first one to get out of the mummy wins. None of you folded up the toilet paper, right? <laughs> None of you did. Why? Because you needed to get out as fast as possible, right? If somebody steals the body, they're not going to sit there and nicely and neatly fold up the face cloth. It just makes no sense, right? So, body couldn't have been stolen. Jesus really died. It wasn't the wrong tomb. The leaders couldn't have moved the body. What, what really happened? And that's what we're left with, right? What really happened? Well, the question is, what do the eyewitnesses say? And the Bible is full of eyewitnesses who see two things. They see the empty tomb, and they see the real resurrected Christ. So first, we have two women who witness the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday, and later they see Jesus. And those are the two witnesses, the two first witnesses. And it's interesting to note this, that back then in, Jewish, in the Jewish times, three witnesses were needed to establish the validity of something. You needed three witnesses. And actually, women's testimony back then was considered invalid in a court of law. Well, why do I tell you this? Because there's no chance that the earliest Christians make this up. Right? If you're making something up about an empty tomb and a resurrection, you're going to have three witnesses, and you're going to make sure it can stand up in court. Right? You're going to have three of the disciples be the first witnesses. The only reason you would write this is if it actually happened, because that's what actually did happen. So we had the two women that were the first witnesses, and then the disciples themselves were witnesses. And initially, they actually didn't believe. This is what Luke 24 says. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanne, uh, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So the, the disciples themselves at first don't believe, right? And then they go to the tomb and they see him. But also Jesus appears to them. Jesus appears to them. They touch him. They eat with him. They realize he's real. He's fully resurrected from the dead. He's not a ghost. I can touch his hands. I can, he can eat fish, right? They make sure that he's actually truly risen from the dead. Also, put it this way, right? Again, this is not something you'd make up if you're, the, if you're the disciples. Nobody wants to be seen as having doubted. If you're Peter, you don't want people to think you've denied Jesus at any point, right? Who wants to be known forever as doubting Thomas? <laughs> Nobody wants to be known as doubting Thomas, right? So if you're making this up, that's not the way you tell the story. And third, 500 plus people saw the risen, resurrected Jesus. And this is what 1 Corinthians 15, back in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 through 8 says. This is Paul writing. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that means Peter, then the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul is saying, hey, you can check this story. We have 500 plus people who saw it. Most of them are still alive. Go talk to them. Go ask somebody about it, right? You can figure it out. The other thing is there were a lot of movements around the time of Jesus that had leaders like disciples and things like that. And all of them would get killed off. 
No other movement ever said that their leader was risen from the dead. It never happened, right? And here's why. It's kind of hard for us to believe in our modern mindset that people can be raised from the dead, right? That's true. It's hard to believe now. And actually, it was really hard to believe that back then. For different reasons, right, both Greeks and Hebrews had no category for a resurrection in the middle of history. Greeks had no concept for a resurrection of the dead at all, right, and like a real physical body. The Hebrews did, but it was at the very last day. Everybody was resurrected together. So they had no concept of this, right? It's not something, again, not something you make up. Also, it couldn't have been a hallucination that people just thought they saw the resurrected Jesus because so many people saw it. You can't have a communal hallucination. It just doesn't exist. But then even if you do, you still have to deal with the empty tomb, right? The tomb is empty, and they saw the risen Jesus, right? So people saw the empty tomb. They saw the resurrected Christ. But maybe, just maybe, part of us still feels like, well, maybe they still made it up, right? Maybe there were some some embarrassing parts that they felt like they should keep in there. You know, maybe they thought, okay, it'll be embarrassing at first, but then once this gets going, we'll have a lot of glory, we'll have a lot of fame, it will be great, right? And that's what brings us to our last question. What was at stake? Now, we talked about what's at stake for us. And as Paul was writing, right, all of that stuff, too, was at stake for them. But they also had some other things at stake, right? Those witnesses that we see, we can read the book of Acts to see what happened next in the story, right? After they see the empty tomb, after they see Jesus risen from the dead, what happens? Well, these witnesses are all willing to face all sorts of hardships and trials for Christ, So those people that denied Jesus are now defying the rulers and authorities of Jerusalem by preaching this Jesus, okay? That doesn't make any sense. How does that happen, right? These witnesses endure riots. They endure stonings, beatings, shipwrecks, all kinds of persecutions. In the book of Acts alone, Stephen is stoned and James is killed. And beyond Acts, we know many of these first witnesses were killed, okay? Uh, They're called martyrs. A martyr just means a witness. Now, There are people out there that are willing to die for a lie if they don't know it's a lie. But if you know it's a lie, if you truly did or didn't witness the resurrected Jesus, right, you're not willing to die for something like that. That's a lie. Um, This is what Paul says. This is what Paul says about his, his story. So quick story on Paul. He was actually killing Christians. He was as far from the church as you can get, right? And then he started preaching the, the gospel. He started preaching Christ. Why? Because he saw the resurrected Jesus, right? And this is what he says. Um, He says, he's basically asking the question, right? Why is my life the way it is if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead? He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 30 and 32. He says, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised, right? He's saying, if this is fake, I'm not getting anything out of it. In fact, I'm losing a whole, whole lot, right? It makes no sense to make it up. You see, all the disciples, all the first witnesses don't gain anything from a lie. No glory, no fame comes their way. In fact, they lose a whole, whole lot. I want you to think about this. Think about the last lie that you told, okay? I know some of us tell lies in here, right? Think about the last lie you told. Why did you tell that lie? It's either to gain something or to protect yourself because you don't want to have some bad consequence, right? You get something out of a lie, right? And then think about the time when you confessed the lie, right? Probably because it, it became too hard to keep up, right? It was going to cause you too much suffering to keep lying. So you thought, I better just bite the bullet. I better just confess, right? 
Well, this is not in any way the first disciples, right? They gain nothing from the lie ever, all right? So it makes sense that it's the truth, that they actually saw Jesus. They saw the empty tomb. And actually, if anybody has a reason to lie, it's the Jewish leaders. Listen to what Matthew says in Matthew 28. This is after the resurrection. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while, you, while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. You see, the religious leaders had stakes in this, and that's why they lied. They wanted to keep their power. They wanted to keep their fame, right? It doesn't look good for them if somebody they just put to death comes back from the dead, right? They're going to lose all social standing, all political power. They have a reason to lie. The disciples, no reason to lie, right? All of the suffering, it doesn't make any sense. So what actually happened? What really happened? The whole Bible points to this truth which is that God became man in the person of Jesus, that he was crucified for our sins, that he died. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And then he appears to his disciples. He spends time with them. He ascends into heaven. And then all the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit poured out from heaven, which allowed them to be faithful witnesses in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardships, and even to their very own deaths. So did Jesus really rise from the dead? Yes. So what does this mean? Well, it means it confirms the complete truth of God's word. Those things are intertwined. The truth of his word and the resurrection of Jesus, they go hand in hand. Uh, Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Let me read that last sentence again. The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but on whether or not he rose from the dead. You see, it means that if you believe more than this, more than just the the truth of the Bible, the actual good news of the Bible is this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you and I can have forgiveness. You and I can have new life. You and I are given the same Holy Spirit that empowered these disciples and the first witnesses. And when you die, if Christ is truly raised from the dead and you believe in him, as soon as you die, your soul will be with Christ. And one day... Your, your body will be resurrected, the great resurrection from the dead, and you will have the same kind of resurrection body that Jesus does in the Gospels, that these people saw and these people witnessed. Paul ends his great chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, like this in verse 58. Therefore, because of the resurrection, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Peter, another witness to the resurrection, says this in 1 Peter 2. He says, talking about Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, the reality of Christ's resurrection changes the way that you and I live. There's no way around it. The reality of Christ's resurrection changes the way we live. You see, we can't just pick and choose parts of Christianity and parts of the Bible we like and seem safe to us, right? And the people around us say, yeah, this is good, but I won't won't have that. No, instead, we can trust all of God's word, right? All of it, even when it's hard. And we're going to talk about some hard and difficult questions this year, right? But we can trust the Lord even when it's hard. 
And so, like Peter says, we live to righteousness. We serve God. We love one another like Jesus. And when things are hard, we, just like those first witnesses, can remain faithful. We can stand strong. We have the same spirit that empowered them to give their very lives. If you believe in Jesus, you have that spirit within you. What a good hope that is. And also, we don't stand by ourselves. This is the beauty of the resurrection. You and I don't stand by ourselves, but we stand on God who raises the dead. And if God can raise the dead, he has the power to help with anything you face in this life. Nothing is too big for him. Nothing is impossible because he can raise the dead. And he will raise the dead. And so my big question for you is this. How will you live based on Christ's resurrection? How will you live? I want you to think about this in your small groups. Think about this when you go to bed tonight. Think about this this week. How will you live based on Christ's resurrection? Right? Think about that and be specific. Right? If Christ really died and rose from the dead, if my sins are really forgiven, if I really have the Holy Spirit, right? how will I then live? I love the way uh, that in Christ alone describes the resurrection and the words that it uses. It says this, There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Now listen what he says about that resurrection power changing how we live. He says this in the last verse, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Jesus really, truly, bodily rose from the dead. And that changes everything. And for those who believe in him, we can stand in that resurrection power now. And one day we will stand with new glorified bodies because of the resurrection power at the last day. This is everything for the Christian faith. Everything is built on this. Jesus Christ truly rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Lord, the truth of Jesus' resurrection gives so much light to us, Lord. Empower us by your spirit to walk day by day in the reality that Jesus truly rose from the dead and that we will one day live with him eternally. Lord, by your spirit, enable us to walk when it's difficult, like those first witnesses. Enable us to go through hardships. Help us to grow day by day. And Lord, help us to think about more and more how we should then live because of the resurrection of Jesus. Amen.